Stan, in here. There he is, yeah. Jerry, George, this is Stan the caddy. How you doing? Hi. Nice to meet you. Ready to hit the links, Oh, Grandma? yeah, you betcha. Uh, what are those, uh, cotton pants? Yeah, yeah. What, is it too cold out? Here's what you do. You bring a lightweight jacket. That way the sun comes out, you play the jacket off the sweater. Oh, that makes sense. That's a good call, Stan. But I don't want to be a secondary character. <laughs> Hello, Stephen. Hello, Ivan. Welcome to another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. This is a podcast about the greatest sitcom of all time. But instead of talking about the episodes in detail, we uh, get each episode in random order and we discuss the secondary characters featured in it. And we have a very special guest. His name's Jesse. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, thank, thank you. you it's uh, quite early where you are at the moment. Now, what time is it in the US? Because we're recording 9pm on Sunday night in Melbourne right now. Yeah, so... it, yeah. it's uh, 7.03 a.m. here in the United States on the East Coast. <laughs> Great. Nice and early. Where uh-huh. are you on the East Coast, Jesse? Um, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, so in the south nice city it's great yeah it's a great place to live love it anyway this week we are doing a episode from season 12 uh, sorry from season 7 not from season 12 Uh, episode (laughs) (laughs) I wish if only yeah Uh, yeah. if only we're talking about the caddy that's right yes that was from season 7 that was episode 12 of that very very wonderful season and uh, I've got notes today on some secondary characters Uh, Stan the caddy he makes his first and only appearance on the show and uh, actually I was saying to you guys off air there's quite a few heavy hitting secondary characters in this episode we've got Sue Ellen Mishki who makes her debut on the show mm-hmm. we've got Jackie Charles his second appearance on the show and uh, plenty of others uh, the Costanzas of course they're always a riot uh, George Steinbrenner uh, Wilhelm oh, yeah. Jacobo Peterman he makes an appearance you know in one very small scene and yeah there's just lots of wonderful secondary characters yeah lots of uh, lots of content to get stuck into today before we do mm-hmm. crack on with the episode in our normal fashion uh, Jesse why don't you give us uh, a bit of a background why you're here when you're not just a random person we are <laughs> to jump into the Seinfeld podcast. Obviously, you're a Seinfeld fan, so why don't you talk mm-hmm. about you know your history with Seinfeld and what you do with Seinfeld now, especially with your uh, Instagram page, Seinpeaks. Yeah, I'm a lifelong Seinfeld fan. Uh, you know, I remember watching the show from childhood as a teenager. I would come home and, and watch the reruns when it was in syndication pretty much every day. Um, I actually was born on the day that the first season one episode aired, post-pilot. So that was either uh, Male Unbonding or The Stakeout. I can't remember which one actually aired first because they swapped the order on the DVDs. Um, But yeah, I mean, I've been nerding out over Seinfeld for, you know, 20 years now. Um, and then in 2018, I started this dumb meme Instagram page, Sign Peaks, where I would mash up Seinfeld with my other favorite show, Twin Peaks. And they work really well together, way better than you would expect. And uh, it was just, you know, some dumb thing for fun. And then started, you know, growing a following over year over the years, creating a, uh, a Facebook group out of it. And uh, it gives me kind of an outlet for all of my nerdy interests so that I don't have to bug my family with it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I was saying to you off air just before, Jesse, that I'm actually a fan of Twin Peaks as well. Well, I watched oh, two yeah. seasons, and uh, yeah, and I watched the revival season, but I haven't watched Fire Walk with me, the uh, prequel film. So I'll mm-hmm. probably oh, get around to. that. I was saying to you as well that I, I've been following your Sign Peaks page, and uh, yeah, I, I, I said that there was that image that really struck me that you released probably a week or two ago, or maybe longer, where it had Agent Cooper at the R, the um, diner over in Twin mm-hmm. Peaks, and you su- you managed to put him at the front 
and you superimposed Jerry and George at Monks behind him, and it was so seamless you thought they were in the same room. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I was just lucky enough that they uh, kind of lit those two scenes on those two different shows similarly enough, and I was able to do a quick Photoshop and put them together. And yeah, that was um, one of my most, I guess, popular little mashups, uh, but I love doing, you know, goofy little stuff like that nice and one of the actresses who was on the uh, episode the caddy uh, brenda strong she plays sue ellen mishki she was uh in Twin peaks in four episodes herself exactly yeah i thought i was actually really excited that we picked the caddy to talk about uh, i i apologize you might hear my toddler talking in the background oh, he's uh he's watching a disney movie we're trying to keep him distracted oh nice, <laughs> nice. and also uh, george's parents as well um they're they're actually played uh main secondary characters in twin peaks too they're, they're only referenced by george well, Susan's parents, you mean? Oh, Susan, sorry, yes. Yeah, Susan's yeah definitely. Sorry. Yeah, still yeah. on Twin Peaks. <laughs> uh-huh. No, no, don't yeah. worry. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, oh, I, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Susan's parents. Yeah. So George mentions in this episode that the cabin was rebuilt, but uh, yeah. So I think Warren Frost was the actor. Yes. He played. Um, he played Mr. Ross, and then the actress mm-hmm. who played Mrs. Ross was uh, the main, the the dead woman's uh, mother. So there yeah, you go. yeah, Grace Zabisky, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. Pretty crazy, crazy how Seinfeld and Twin Peaks merge together quite well. Yeah, there's maybe a dozen actors that were on both shows. Um, I think BuzzFeed did an article a couple of years back about all the other, you know, all the crossovers. Um, like uh, one of the main, I guess, drug runners in the first couple of seasons of Twin Peaks was Nick, the cable guy in Seinfeld, the one that is chasing Kramer, trying to get him to, uh, yeah, because he's stealing cable. I can't remember exactly what's going on in that episode. Um, but Nick from Plaza Cable. And there's a there's a bunch of others. Um, the woman, the old woman that Jerry steals the marble rye from, um, is a mysterious, Maybe weird, too. dark character on Twin Peaks. So yeah, yeah, the the, the mashup possibilities are pretty much endless. <laughs> crazy, crazy. So yeah, I mean, I guess we are we are doing the caddy, and uh, every week we start off the episode with Seinfeldisms. There's that's just the intersectionality of reality and Seinfeld. So, um, Stephen, do you have any Seinfeldisms for this week? Yeah, I didn't have any up until a couple of hours ago, but I went out shopping this afternoon. I was walking around and uh, looking in a few shops, and uh, I saw a candle that was branded Serenity Now. So, ah, last minute nice. Seinfeldism, clutch play <laughs> by Seinfeldism. Candle. I'm sure. I'm sure uh, Frank had a few in his house. You know, everyone's anxiety. Anxiety is dialed up a bit because of COVID-19, but I don't feel like it's dialed up to the point where I uh, I need a candle, a Serenity Now candle, but I know it's there if I need it. <laughs> Just in case. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah, need to yell it. You need to shout it out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but I, I feel like if COVID-19 gets up to that uh, level of anxiety, all the shops will be shut anyway. So it'll be kind of redundant at that point. But yeah, yeah for sure. maybe I'll get maybe I'll get it in preparation. <laughs> in preparation. Yeah. Well, who knows? See how this COVID-19 situation goes. I mean, in the US, it's quite terrible from what I've, what we've heard. And yes. uh, in, in uh, Victoria, in Australia, where we are, Jesse, uh, the numbers are starting to climb. Obviously not as bad as where you are, but uh, they're making masks mandatory from next week for us to go out. So yeah, it's getting, mm-hmm. uh, getting quite serious uh where we are but um yeah hopefully this thing gets blows over hopefully this year or early next year yeah, yeah. How, how is it on the ground where you are in atlanta jesse is it it's sort of- things are getting really interesting um so so i live in the south in uh, the state of georgia and every state is experiencing it differently because their state governments are handling it differently but in georgia lately the death rate has dropped down to about where it was in march uh which is which is good you know it means probably the you know the people who are old and have you know diseases and stuff and are very vulnerable to it they're being protected but um i mean all the i guess younger people and middle-aged people the the cases are spiking 
like crazy yeah. because a lot of people feel like they don't have to wear masks and they can go out and do large gatherings and, uh, you know, they don't have to be safe. So, you know, on the one hand, it's good. On the other hand, it's bad. I mean, I, you know, I, you never really know where you stand. I'm just trying to be, you know, safe and, and uh, stay inside as much as I can. Yeah, Very good way. You're one of the smart ones. I think, yeah, yeah. I, th I think it's the same here. You know, you've just got to live your life as best as you can within a, a new normal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I'm, right, I might well, be putting you on the spot. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I'm, I might be putting you on the spot, Jesse, but do you have any Seinfeldisms of your own? Um, you know, anything Seinfeld related happened to you recently? I know I'm probably well, putting um, on the spot. No, no, no worries. I actually thought about this. Um, so I am in the process of buying a new house. And uh, part of that means I have to clean out my current house and throw out trash and stuff. So this week I was in my guest room getting rid of things that I hadn't seen in years. And I came across a uh, Seinfeld 25th anniversary magazine that I bought a few oh. years ago when, the, when it was the 25th anniversary of the, I think of the debut of the show. And it's yeah. really cool. It's got like interviews with all the actors over the years. And, you know, a lot of the secondary characters actually, you know, how they got involved with the show, their fond memories, that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, they had Jay Peterman, Putty, uh, the Soup Nazi, Jackie Childs, Banya, uh, all these fantastic interviews. Um, and uh, I got to flip through that and kind of relive a lot of my favorite episodes. Oh, nice. cool. <laughs> nice. I was going to ask you, Jesse, do you have any favorite secondary characters? Like if you had to pick, say, three, could you do that? Yes. Uh, Frank Costanza, Jay Peterman, and maybe Jackie Childs. That's a strong uh, three right there. That's, mm. that's yeah. solidly yeah. huge. And maybe Morty like Seinfeld too. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> to narrow it down. Hard to pick just three. That's why we're doing every episode. So, you know, because we, <laughs> why not? Uh, yeah. Anyway, speaking of, uh, well, sorry, Ivan, I, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. Do you have any Seinfeldisms? Well, actually, no, I don't have a Seinfeldism myself, but we did receive fan mail during the week, which I'll uh, read out. Uh, we got an email from Joseph. He's from New York. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did the Wink episode and uh, we were talking about baseball player Paul O'Neill and uh, he was one of I think he was one of the only players to play in three perfect games and um, we were a bit unsure on that episode what a perfect game in baseball was uh, do you follow baseball Jesse uh not really um not really. I mean we, we've got a great local team here the Braves in Atlanta that uh, I watch them when they're on but other than that I don't really know much about it I'm not a huge sports guy which is crazy because there are so many sports references in Seinfeld that tend to just go mm -hmm. over my head yeah especially baseball like because Joe Joseph, uh, he, he emailed us and he said, um, first of all, I'd like to say I'm so happy I download your podcast and it gives me something to look forward to every time I open Spotify. So that's really good to hear. Thanks, Joseph. He was hoping to give us more information about a perfect game in baseball. So his definition of it is when a pitcher retires all 27 batters that he faces and no matter what, no batter can reach first base for it to still be considered a perfect game. So I think, Stephen, you're a bit confused when you said that does a player have to go to first base at all to be considered perfect? But no, according to Joseph, no one gets to first base at all. So it's pretty, pretty incredible. Most of what he said went over my head, like his explanation and through no fault of his own, but because it's completely foreign to us as Australians, it actually made me more confused. I was just like, oh, yes, <laughs> that, that thing you just said. And I don't know anything about baseball and I feel like I know less now, but even for someone who's completely <laughs> ignorant about baseball, uh, the way what he described sounds like an incredible feat. So I understand why that it's is very amazing. rare. Absolutely. But yeah, thanks so much, Joseph. And we're glad you're enjoying us on Spotify. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying uh, what was a very confusing thing. And uh, unfortunately, making it more confusing again through no fault of your own that's just me being <laughs> a ignorant australian <laughs> oh, it's all right. There's plenty of us. But anyway, all right. Seinfeld News, buddy. Do you have any news articles this week? Yeah, just one. It's not Seinfeld related, but because we've been a bit skint on Seinfeld News, I decided to include it. A former PR person, a former publicist for Seinfeld, his name is Joe Sutton. He passed away recently. Um, he died, unfortunately, at the age of 83. And mm -hmm. he was Seinfeld's publicist through uh, the show's run and then sort of 
about four or five years after the show. Um, some of his other clients throughout his career was uh, The Doors, uh, The Beach Boys, Burt Reynolds, Drew Barrymore, Martin Lawrence, uh, The Oprah wow. Winfrey Show, and excellently, and purely by coincidence, Twin Peaks. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so he was this the publicist of Twin Peaks when it, when it first aired uh, in, what, 1990, 1991? Is that when it first uh, aired? 89, 90, yeah. 89, 90, yeah. So what a, what a strange coincidence, huh? Oh, crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. I had I yeah. never knew that. Yeah, this so, is almost uh, becoming right. like a Twin Peaks episode. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> this is too strange. <laughs> <laughs> too many. A lot of plot lines sort of like twisting together. Yeah. Yeah, so RIP Joe Sutton and uh, anyone he represented through during his career. Obviously a very successful and prolific man. Condolences to his family and friends. But anyway, let's take a really quick break, fellas, and uh, we'll come back and talk about secondary characters from today's episode, The Caddy, and there's plenty. Hello, folks. Matt McCoy here, a.k.a. Lloyd Braun from Science. And I'm telling you right now, I do not want to be a secondary character. Today we are talking about the secondary characters from The Caddy, Season 7, Episode 12. This episode first aired in the US on January 25th, 1996, directed by Andy Ackman and written by Greg Cavett and Andy Robin. In this episode, Elaine plots a little revenge against old nemesis Sue Ellen Mischke, she's played by Brenda Strong, who for many years before had lured Elaine's boyfriends away to go braless. It seems fitting that she would give her bra as a present, which she takes to wearing as a top, the bra top. Um, George, meanwhile, is trying to get a promotion at work and leaves his car there to have his bosses think that he's putting in more hours at work. In fact, he is off for the weekend with Susan, Heidi Swedberg, and gets Jerry to make sure that there are no flyers on the windshield. Jerry and Kramer take the car to be washed, but on the way back to the parking lot, see Sue Ellen walking down the street. Kramer sues her after he's injured in the ensuing crash, affecting his golf game. And to other secondary characters in the episode, Armand Shimmerman, he plays Stan McCaddy, uh, Jerry Stiller and Estelle Harris, the Costanders, they make an appearance, as well as uh, some other big secondary characters. George Steinbrenner, he's in. He's voiced by Larry David and played by Lee Bear, of course. Phil Morris makes his second appearance on the show as Jackie Charles. Richard Hurd plays Wilhelm. John O'Hurley appears as Jay Peterman. And Arthur Rosenberg plays the judge at the end of the episode. So a bit of trivia about the episode, guys. So uh, Jerry tells George that he can see why the Yankees haven't won a pennant in 15 years. And uh, I know you two aren't really the sportiest fellows, like you mentioned before. But uh, apparently in 1996, the Yankees actually won a pennant that year that the uh, episode ended. Isn't that a coincidence? Yeah, it's hilarious. I uh, I read up on that, and I just thought how funny that was. That you know, if, if they had written this episode in season eight, that joke wouldn't have been relevant anymore. No, no, definitely. It's just weird. It's like, yeah, this, this team's terrible. You know, they suck. They can't win anything. And then six months later, they win. It's almost like Simpsons kind of fortune telling, you know? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Do you have trivia, Steve? Yeah, so the episode boyfriend of Elaine's, well, the, the historical episode boyfriend, shall we say, Tom Cosley, the one that uh, Suella Mishki skull, he was actually named after a real high school boyfriend um, of Julia Louis-Dreyfus. So uh, another another using of a real-life name for a character in the episode. They do that a lot. Yeah, it's really crazy. And the actor who actually played Tom in the episode, his name's Jeff Bai. Um, he was actually the production coordinator for the show. And uh, he also warmed up the crowd uh, during taping days in seasons eight and nine. Oh, ah, okay. Yeah, so yeah he, yeah, he was able to go on screen. Pretty cool. Yeah. I was uh, I, I tried looking him up because I guess that means that he was maybe he had some stand up chops if he was mm. warming them up that way, maybe telling jokes and stuff. I couldn't find any videos of him on YouTube, but he is still on Twitter today. I think his username is oh that Jeff by um, okay. it's hard to tell if he's really doing anything these days, um, but he's around. Okay. Cool. 
All right. Well, Jeff, if you do happen to listen to this podcast for, you know, whatever reason, then uh, get in touch. <laughs> that's right. Uh, <laughs> do you have any more trivia, Rob? Nah, that's it. Anything? Well, I was going to say, Jesse, anything for you? Any uh, any notes or comments about the caddy? Um, uh, not any uh, general trivia, uh, but I, I got plenty to say about the characters. You're very good. Nice. So let's just jump into it, eh? Yeah, yeah, let's do what we do best. Yes, let's start with Stan the Caddy. He was played, as I mentioned before, by Armin Shimmerman. He's known for a Star Trek Deep Space Nine and The Hitcher. So he is a Kramer's caddy. And um, and uh, I had to Google what a caddy was because my understanding was caddies just hold the equipment and they don't do anything. But apparently they hold the uh, the bag and the clubs for the golfer, and they also provide insightful advice and moral support. And uh, Stan definitely does that for Kramer. For the most part, until the end. His advice is sound until it costs him a million dollars. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Stan means well, I think, but I, I I think he's one of those kind of guys who just loves to see things through to the end. So Jackie, when we talk about Jackie a bit later, Jackie kind of, he knows that the, that the bra situation won't fit, so to speak, like literally and metaphorically. So he tries to shoo it off. But Stan's like, no, no, we got to see this string right to the end. And uh, I think he, he just had like good intentions, but they just failed. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I think his uh, his avenue of expertise is the green, not the courthouse. You know, he should he should, <laughs> you know, I, d- I don't want to minimize his contributions to uh, Kramer's life, but uh, he should stay in his lane. I think, especially when a million dollars is on the line. He's a bit of a rebel too, like because Kramer says at the start of the episode that the golf course is actually shut, but uh, Stan's able to get in through the caddy's entrance. Do you think maybe it's Kramer persuading him to open it, or do you think Stan's got a bit of a rebellious side himself? What do you two think? I think that it's it's Stan. I mean, just looking at the way that Kramer listens to him and like treats him like this sort of sage, wise guy, I think he's following Stan's lead in every aspect of life now that they're together. Um, mm-hmm. So I like to think that like you know Stan's like, hey, you know, wake up early tomorrow morning i'm going to drive you out to the course and show you a secret you know and here we're going to go in through this way follow my lead and uh, i think kramer's just treating him you know like his uh like his mentor kramer is being his protege so kramer's a stan yeah. stan exactly yeah <laughs> nice i can imagine a situation where kramer's asking him for you know once he gives him some good golf tips and it improves his game and he gets some trust i can imagine him asking him some life advice you know beyond the golf course and mm. uh stan you know he's a, he's a very stoic man he's very just to the point, no nonsense, but he's also very polite and uh, affable. And I can imagine him sort of maybe recommending him sort of like stoic philosophy or something like that. You know, just a bit of stoicism. I wouldn't be surprised if Stan, you know, is a fan of the uh, the classic Greek philosophers, you know, the originators of stoicism. And that sort of yeah. underpins his outlook on life and on the golf course. And I think maybe he sees it beneficial to Kramer as well, because Kramer's life is quite chaotic and just wacky and all over the place. And, you know, stoicism is kind of opposite to that. So maybe he thinks that that sort of philosophy would benefit his life, a bit more structure, a bit more routine, a bit more <laughs> discipline, a bit more grit, you know. And I think I think he sees himself as more than just his caddy. I think he sees himself as, like you said, Jesse, as a, a sage or a mentor. And unfortunately, it doesn't pay off yeah, at the end, like we mentioned several times. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you can't, you can't be right. You can't be right 100% of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any other notes on yeah. Stan, fellas? No, I... I really like he's him, really but uh, he's just really. not. No, he, he's a bit of a one-trick pony. You know, he, he just you know he's always deferred to by Kramer, and that's sort of it. He just sort of offers advice. There's no, you don't know anything about his life, his personal life. You never see him in any other context other than by Kramer's side. So it's hard to it's hard to extrapolate out like you know what he might be like in his personal life or anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah uh, not, not much material to work with, but uh, I did like Stan. I do like Stan. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. Well, what I was going to say about Stan is it's funny. He's one of those characters that all he almost doesn't fit in on the show next to the main four because of how by season seven, like how wacky they kind of become. Um, mm-hmm. Where he's you know he's only got a few lines. He's very kind of 
he's almost sort of normal. You know, he doesn't talk much, but there doesn't seem to be that much weird about him. You almost could have replaced him with like a magic eight ball or something like in the episode <laughs> where Kramer's just like taking some random piece of advice and applying it to his life because, he, you know, you don't know who he is outside of that. But I liked him. It's just there wasn't, like you said, there wasn't that much to him there wasn't a whole lot to work with he did you know the actor did well with uh with what it was though yeah, yeah. and then you're right you make a really good point because season seven because season eight and nine i mean seinfeld kind of gets really wacky and off the rails in its own you know oh, yeah. special way but season seven yeah you're right because that's around the time when larry david he's kind of wanting to leave the show and he's not contributing much to the writing and he's kind of leaving it he's kind of moving it on to other people and yeah you kind of it's interesting how you do see someone stoic like stan amongst all that chaos yeah it really kind of it almost helps to show how crazy the main four are to put them up next to someone who's kind of normal. Um, I like episodes like that a lot where, you know, you see how people interact in the normal world and then you see how Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer interact and it just shows you how insane they are by contrast. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and it really gives you a big picture as to how crazy they actually are. Yeah, and just what jerks they are as well. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But yeah, that is the last time we see Stan on the show. First and last so. time. He, uh, I wonder what happened to him. You know, I wonder if he, his golf career or his caddy career, I should say, took a bit of a hit. You know, maybe he lost a bit of confidence in himself. Maybe he had Probably. to go back to his, you know, classical, you know, philosophy text to sort of like <laughs> regain his confidence in stoicism. You know, I don't know. I, I could feel I could I could see him very like nobly checking out to sort of like correct, right his wrong, you know, do the stoic thing, do the work, do the research, like recenter himself and then re-enter being a caddy to sort of you know he just seems like that sort of guy i don't think he would just yeah. go like oh well i fucked up it doesn't matter let's just move on i think he would take it very personally and and try and morally correct himself i was just gonna say it, it wouldn't be a true seinfeld episode if they didn't negatively impact his life in some way so yeah i have to assume that after you know word got out that he gave advice in a legal case and you know wrecked the case and that hurt his career in some kind of way i think it just has to yeah i feel like yeah. he probably went on a retreat in india or something and he he was away yeah. for six months and he had, like you said, he had to try and find his balance <laughs> and uh, yeah. become stoic again. And then he returned to become an even better caddy. Maybe exactly. He, was- he went to India like the Beatles or something. Yeah. yeah. He discovered. He discovered LSD. He Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I could almost see him like punishing himself. Like there's a word for when you like, you know, you think you've sinned egregiously and you punish yourself. I can't remember the word, but um, I can imagine him like, you know, maybe he's going to walk barefoot across America with a caddy bag on his shoulder just to like, you know, to, to cast out his sin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> penance. Pay the penance. That's what I was trying to say. A bit of penance. Word I was trying to punishes himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Anyway, let's. Let's move on. Uh, why don't we talk about Suella Mishki, the uh, the star secondary character of the episode? Oh, yeah. Yes, she is played by Brenda Strong, and this is her first of, uh, I think, three appearances on the show. Uh, she, the actress Brenda, she has appeared, of course, in Twin Peaks in uh, season two. She played the character mm-hmm. Joan. As, uh, as yes. you know, Jesse, you're very familiar with her. Uh, she's mm-hmm. the one who produces Agent Cooper, right? No, it's it's... Her no, plot line uh, is very yeah. strange. Yeah, she comes in at the end. She uh, she works for a character named Thomas Eckhart, who has a very sort of small background role in the show. Uh, and toward the end of season two, she has three episodes where she comes in and I think tries to kill Sheriff Harry. And yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. you know, it has something to do with money. She's working for Thomas, who I think was married to Josie. And it, it kind of, that's where the show kind of takes sort of a soap opera turn. Uh, that was after uh, David Lynch 
left the show. So they had other writers working on the episodes. It's very, it's a weird arc with her character. She did a great job with that. I love Brenda Strong. But yeah, she's not part of the strongest part of the show, I would say. <laughs> no, they should have given her a bit more, uh, a bit more time. Something more to work with, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Brenda Strong's also been in the TV shows Desperate Housewives and 13 Reasons Why. And uh, we have talked about Sue Ellen Mishki in detail in our What's the Deal with Sue Ellen Mishki episode, which we did way back when. So before like we hit our 100th episode, Jesse, we had um, special episodes where we talk about one main secondary character and we do a whole episode on them. So yeah, we talked about Sue Ellen, but I guess we can talk about her in the context of the episode. And of course, because it is, it is her debut on the show and uh, she's most prominent in this one, uh, we can know. Uh, really deep dive and see what is happening with her psyche. Yeah, I actually did not realize that this was her first episode. It's funny because you wouldn't know it because like it's really clear right off the bat how much Elaine hates her. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and because I've, you know, seen the episodes out of order when you see uh, Sue Ellen walking down the sidewalk towards her. Um, like my first thought is, oh, Sue Ellen, like we already know, you know, how much Elaine hates her. Like it's it's obvious, but oh, it's a, it's the first time that you're seeing her. They did a really good job uh, kind of establishing really quickly. Elaine hates her. She's pompous. She doesn't wear a bra. You know, she, you know, flout society society's conventions yeah, exactly. um yeah yeah that they did a great job like really quickly establishing the relationship there yeah and yeah it's uh, really good because um sue ellen it's established that she's from maryland with elaine i'm guessing i think we mentioned in in the sue ellen episode steve that they were childhood friends well they grew up together and uh and and um sue ellen would always take elaine's boyfriends um and that's why uh, elaine couldn't stand her and uh and you can tell that elaine has it really in for her because even she says to jerry do you remember Sue Ellen, the girl who grew, I grew up with who doesn't wear a bra? And then Jerry's like, oh, yeah, 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 I know her. So it's obvious that Elaine has talked, you know, very negatively of her in the past to Jerry and probably other people as well. So, uh, she, yeah, she really carries that kind of, I don't know, she just really has has it in for Sue Ellen. Yeah, I think um, she reminds me of a grown-up version of, like, the, I guess, the teen movie Popular Girl. You know, the, the, she's like the hottest. She's going out with mm. like a star football player. She's like a real asshole. Uh, you know, she's, she's like queen of the popular clique. She makes fun of the nerds. And, you know, we've, we've always talked about how intelligent and how, I guess, intellectually accomplished Elaine is. She's well read. She's quite academic. She's quite, her interests are intellectual, especially compared to most of the other characters. So maybe Elaine was a bit more of a nerd, maybe not like a full on, you know, stereotypical awkward nerd, but just a bit more, a uh, bit more bookish maybe yeah she and, was in book you know, i think yeah and i can imagine sue ellen being like sort of the rich girl you know and and sort of just that classic teen movie rivalry of you know the bookish person versus the just the popular cheerleader type girl who steals all the boys and and you know everyone's just jealous of because she's tall and beautiful and rich and confident and she doesn't wear a bra and she's a free uh what, what does jerry say free free and free wheel free, and free swing and attitude that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> swing and attitude. i i <laughs> the freewheeling and the free swinging aspect. I watched, I think I saw a gif or something of her walking down the street. And for a 90s primetime sitcom, it was quite, you know, I mean, Seinfeld has always like walked the line between like controversial and safe. They've done it and they've always done it very intelligently. But it, it's it's quite like brazen just how, you know, it, I mean, it shouldn't be controversial. It's just a pair of breasts. Who cares? But for 90s mainstream sitcom, the fact that they were 
so sort of blatant about it was surprising. And the fact that that wasn't mm. cut or, you know, they weren't told to sort of tone it down a bit because um, it's, you know, there's a lot of free singing and there's a lot of free free will and like a whole it's, lot. It's not, yeah, it, it's not it's not uh, discreet. You know, it's very obvious. Well, I think, yeah, well, so. Jesse, you could probably you could probably elaborate on this yourself, Jesse. I guess in the mid 90s, there was probably a shift in the culture in terms of, you know, sex being portrayed on TV. There was more daring writing and daring characters. Was that something that probably happened around that time? Because I think around Twin Peaks and maybe earlier was much safer, more family orientated. Do you think there was like a shift in terms of like how sex and all that was presented on TV around that time? Yeah, I think so. And I think probably it kind of started with shows like Seinfeld in the early 90s, starting to break sort of the unspoken, you know, rules of what you could say and talk about on TV, like Elaine kind of talking about, you know, she throws around things like period and diaphragm and talking about birth control a lot. And uh, then, of course, there's the contest episode. I think like they started breaking taboos and other shows started kind of following suit. So by 1996, a lot of that was more acceptable and and mainstream. So yeah, this was probably like if, if it had aired in season one, it probably would have been controversial to show, you know, Brenda Strong dressed that way. But by 1996, I think it was probably more like, okay, yeah, this is just a, you know, standard what happens at nine o'clock on the NBC, you know, you're going to see something more like that and it's okay and people are all right with it. But yeah, like I think very quickly in the uh, early to mid 90s, things started shifting with TV kind of towing the line and exploring, you know, more controversial stuff. Yeah. I wanted to ask you guys, do you think Brenda is oblivious to, I guess, just the effect that she has on Lane? Elaine? Because she seems, you know, she's very smart and switched on and engaged and personable. But Sometimes you said that uh, she's pompous, Jesse, and I think she's also a bit aloof. I think she's a bit disconnected from, you know, people mm-hmm. who are literally below her because she's quite tall and also maybe just, you know, working and middle class people. She obviously exists in a world that most people wouldn't even have a concept of. Do you think that she, you know, when she wears the bra, when she walks into Elaine's office by wearing the bra and Elaine's, you know, thinks she, she thinks that she's going to like passive aggressively tell her that she's got a bra on, but she's just like, fuck that. I'm just going to wear it as a top. <laughs> Do you think she's doing it intentionally to sort of push back on Elaine's passive aggression or do you think that she's completely oblivious to it? I think it's intentional. Like, I think she's definitely aware. Like, I think she's aware of, you know, when she's walking down the street in the first episode and Elaine sees her without a bra. Like, I think she's very aware that Elaine's uncomfortable with that, you know, and and then when you see them again uh, in the episode with the uh, with the golf clubs, you know, when they Jerry and Elaine run into her at the auction and, and she says something like, hey, you know, come to get a glimpse of high society. Like, I think she's definitely aware of how Elaine perceives her. And I think she's very fake nice. And I think that's intentional. I think like she is being very passive aggressive and, you know, taking digs wherever she can. I don't think I don't think she's actually as uh, aloof and oblivious as she pretends to be. Yeah, I agree with you, Jesse. Yeah, I think her intentions are, you know, purposeful. She does have intent on, you know, upsetting Elaine. And of course, she does come from the O'Henry candy bar fortune, which is I'd imagine O'Henry. Is that still a big chocolate bar or candy bar where you are? No, no, no. I don't, <laughs> no. I don't see them anywhere anymore. I'm sure they were big in the early to mid 90s. Um, but at yeah. some point. I think that the, the the family lost their fortune. Um, <laughs> if you yeah. look at their sales chart through the decades, it was probably just a slow decline and then like a slight increase after this episode and then a slow decline. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Like, yeah, oh, Seinfeld okay. did that a lot. Like they referenced like the, the $100,000 bar at one point, which mm-hmm. I think might have been around in the mid-90s, but you don't see it anywhere anymore. Um, I think they were just... They were very obsessed with old candies. Yeah. Yeah. Probably because yeah. of the think, age of the riders and stuff too. Yeah. Exactly. The only yeah, exception yeah. to that is Snickers, of course. I mean, Snickers don't need any help from Seinfeld. They're, they're good. <laughs> yeah. And Twix. And, and Twix. Twix. Oh, especially Twix. Yes. The, the only one with the cookie crunch. 
That's right. <laughs> but no, Sue Ellen, I mean, yeah, she, you know, because Elaine wasn't as rich as her, didn't, you know, her family didn't have as much money. Sue Ellen definitely put that over her as well. What do you, why do you think she moved to Maryland, uh, from Maryland to New York? Maybe a new job or what, what do you think, like, what would you put her occupation down as? I think she'd be like a socialite. Okay. A lot of heirs and heiresses, they're like, well, I've got a trust fund. I don't need to work. And they just sort of, they just walk around being hot and rich and, and you know, braless. They're just, <laughs> you know, and I don't mean that, I don't mean that to say that she couldn't work a job, but I, she has no need to. She has no economic requirement to work. So why would she? Yeah. 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 I think if anything, she probably has some sort of purely decorative position uh, or title with the, O'Hare, the O'Henry company. You know, maybe she's like the vice president of, you know, something cushy where she doesn't have to do a whole lot of work and she just gets the money because she's part of the family. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's why she's in New York. Yeah. <laughs> she's on a business trip. Yeah. Quote unquote business and, trip. Quote unquote business trip. Yeah. And uh, that court case right at the end, you know, Kramer's thinking, oh, I'm going to get that million dollars and, you know, and, and preceding that, uh, she goes into Jerry's apartment and do you think they maybe fooled around perhaps? Like, or, because I, I think my, my, my theory is that she probably went to go to Kramer's apartment to try and seduce Kramer to try and get, you know, Kramer to not take her to court. But then I hadn't you know, thought of that. Then she asked Jerry, do you know this man who lives here? And she goes, he goes, yes. You know, he's all like, oh, my God, you know, who's this hot girl, you know, hot woman. And uh, she's probably like, well, uh, maybe I'll get to this guy to get to Kramer. Maybe he'll tell Kramer not to uh, sue me. So she uses sex yeah. as like a bargaining tool. Yeah. Look, I don't think she'd go through with actually sleeping with Kramer. Or, oh, or no, 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 think, no. Yeah, I think she would just use her. Her sexuality because she understands the power that she has over men and just use her sexual wiles to manipulate or convince Kramer to drop the lawsuit. And yeah, I don't think I was wondering maybe maybe she slept with Jerry or maybe they flew. No. Maybe there was something more than just her uh, leveraging her own, you know, sort of her own feminine mystique, shall we say, and her brawlessness. But yeah, I, I think, you know, maybe there was a bit of flirtation, but it was very strategic. It was very intentional. Yeah. yeah. And here's my question. So when Kramer walks in and he finds the O. Henry wrapper in Jerry's trash can, does that mean Sue Ellen just walks around with O. Henry bars in her pocket? Like, what's that yeah. all about? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, it's it wouldn't bit, surprise me. A <laughs> yeah. yeah, a bit obvious. Yeah, she, but, uh, well, she wore a jacket, I think. Oh, no, I know. She did she yeah. have a jacket on? No, she did. There you go. She's probably got like a couple of dozen candy bars she uses as currency, too. Maybe. I mean, do they suggest, do they say explicitly that she was the person who ate the candy bar? Like maybe, maybe after, uh, you know, she left Jerry's apartment. Jerry was so excited he went out and got one. I don't know. He was like, well, I can't have the, o- I couldn't have the O'Henry's uh, heiress, so I'll have a chocolate bar, which is like the next best thing. Well, if you <laughs> yeah, know, it was, a, it was a twin pack. So maybe Jerry had one half and Sue Ellen had the other half. Aha, uh-huh, they shared candy. Yeah. They shared oh, candy. Sure <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, yes, yeah, Sue Ellen, very confident, you know, heiress. And, uh, yeah, she uses sex as a bargaining tool to get what she wants. And then she eventually okay. wins the case by uh, Stan's really, really poor judgment. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I think even if even if she... I don't know much about the, the the actual amount of candy bar fortunes, but I imagine even for her and her family and the company, a million dollars, you know, is a decent chunk of money, but I don't think it would have been uh, ruinous. I think it would have just been, okay, we'll pay the money and then, you know, we're still rich. Who cares? Or maybe I like you bad, said- I was going to say, I think the bad PR would have actually been more of a concern for them than the than the dollar amount. Or maybe going by Jesse, what he said about O'Henry uh, candy bars in the 90s, it was around, you know, O'Henry's, you said, aren't as popular these days. Maybe there was a decline in the 90s. So maybe- all the old money was starting to get dried up and so yeah, maybe exactly him, like a million dollars was like maybe in the 50s a million dollars was nothing but in the 90s it was like oh shit <laughs> so, yeah, you know, we don't need and like you mentioned steve they don't need bad pr so a million could cost the whole business in pr so 
Yeah, it's true. That's why she fought. We'll never know. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about uh, Jackie Charles in the context of this episode. Yes, Jackie Charles. And like Sue Ellen Mishki, he does have his own special What's the Deal with episode, so you can go back and listen to that. He is played by the wonderful Phil Morris. Now, uh, this is the second time we see Jackie on the show. The first time was with the uh, coffee uh, incident, I think. Was it the coffee? No, it was... Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah it was so. the coffee. That's right. When, when Kramer burns himself, that's right, yes, in yeah. that episode. I forgot which episode it was but yeah he uh you know jackie tried representing him before and then kramer decides to get free coffee instead of uh, a settlement <laughs> that's actually that's his settlement not money um and so i guess jackie probably well when jackie and kramer first meet for their meeting he seems like he probably wanted to give kramer a second chance he's probably like look he stuffed up last time Maybe I'll I'll give this guy another go. Yeah, look, I don't think it was Kramer that he was sold on. I think it's the fact, the specific fact that she is an heiress, because that's that's the time when he truly shows interest. Like he's listening to Kramer's story, trying to suss it out, and you know, is this worth my time? I've been burnt mm. by Kramer and his stupidity before. But as soon as yeah. he says she's the heiress to the Henry Candy Bar fortune, that's when his ears prick up, and that's when he really, really thinks, okay, this is worth my time. And I think if she wasn't an heiress and every other bit of the situation was the same he wouldn't have been so keen exactly it is funny that he loses every single time he takes Kramer's case and it he keeps coming back I think he just can't resist like a juicy you know case with something interesting about it you know whether it's the how the smoking does Kramer's face or the the coffee or the, the bra or you know the good Samaras in law I think he just he's drawn to stuff like that and he just has really bad judgment to keep saying yes to Kramer this is one of my many public humiliations yeah <laughs> yeah I think for Jackie as well um obviously is after the big bucks and you know I I think we theorized uh, in the what's the deal with episode aside from Kramer's bungles I think he's a very good lawyer I think he's very effective he's very smart mm, yeah. you know he he's very sharp but I think he really desires like a high profile like a publicly like almost like an infamous lawsuit you know and and kramer for some reason just has swaths of them uh, at his disposal as he just goes through yeah. his life so i think he's really just trying to look for that kind of like not just a monetary win but also like a pr win like he wants to be known as the lawyer that represented this person on this case that was you know widely covered by the media yeah he wants the fame yeah, yeah exactly. well, Jackie Charles, he's actually based on uh, real-life lawyer Johnny Cochran. He represented O.J. Simpson. And yeah. uh, the court case actually with the bra not fitting is a reference to the glove not fitting when O.J. Simpson tried it on. So uh, Yeah, <laughs> especially that yeah. line at the end. It's got to fit right up to the skin, like a glove. Like a glove. <laughs> like a glove. <laughs> yeah, good reference. <laughs> nice little thing. So, yeah, so he, he is much like Johnny Cochran. He's a caricature version of him, like a fictional version. And, yeah, you're right, Stephen, he does want that big case to make his name. Yeah, I think as well, I I. I did notice that he, he seemed quite bothered by the fact that, you know, Suella Mishki was walking around without a bra on, almost personally offended. The fact that he called no it lewd. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's lewd, lascivious, outrageous. I think I think politically and socially, he's probably quite conservative. I could imagine him, you know, maybe thinking that women walking around braless is, you know, just not something a woman, a self-respecting and a morally respectable woman shouldn't do, even though it's not a big deal and it should never be a big deal. Uh, I think for someone like him, I think that's like a, a sign of his maybe conservatism, okay, especially yeah. when it comes to women and their bodies. And, you know, I don't know, it's just, just a sense I got. He seemed, yeah, he seemed yeah. very bothered by something that, 
no one else really, you know, people were either into it because they're like, cool, it's hot, or they didn't yeah. care, you know. <laughs> yeah, very, although very by that. I would say if you were to flip it, if Sue Ellen were to come to Jackie and say, hey, I need mm. to sue somebody because they harassed me because I just wanted to walk around with a bra on, I think he would have gone the other way and be like, oh, that's your that's your right as an American, you know, and, and for yeah. them to impede upon your rights is outrageous. I think that he just kind of yeah. is after the money. He's after yeah. the money. And, and it doesn't matter as well, because in the finale, when he represents uh, the core four uh, in the court, and this is the this is the big case that he hopes to make big as well, which he fails. He gets seduced by uh, Sidra, one of Jerry's episode girlfriends. So you know, right. she's a very attractive not... woman as well. So you know, so I don't think that would matter. You know, whoever walked in, you're right, Jesse. He he, he just he'd take the case. I think his morals kind of go wherever the money goes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he he, he follows he's... the money. Yeah, yeah, he might be he might be he may well be sexually and socially conservative, but it doesn't mean he's not a hypocrite. Yeah, for sure. Especially especially <laughs> when the price is right. So yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. Sorry, you were saying, Steve? I was just going to ask, does anyone else have any notes or comments about Jackie in this episode? No, nothing specific to this episode. I just love Jackie Childs so much. Um, have you guys covered how uh, Phil Morris was originally going to be in the non-fat yogurt before Jackie Childs existed? I think we might have mentioned it in his episode. I, we did that episode ages ago. He's his special one. But no, tell us about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, oh, he, just interesting. Like I, I've seen the scene because they shot that episode both ways because they didn't know who was going to win the mayor election in New York that year. So they shot it one way as if Rudy Giuliani won, and then the other way as if the incumbent mayor won. And I think Jackie, uh, not Jackie, but Phil Morris was going to be the guy going on the news explaining why, you know, the current mayor, I can't remember, Dinkins, um, Dinkins was gaining yeah, weight because of the yogurt. Yeah. And it was a very different yeah. character. He wasn't playing Jackie. He was playing just a very sort of demure political guy. So it actually worked out for the best that he wasn't in that episode mm. so that he could go on to play Jackie. Oh, there yeah. you go. Well, we haven't done the non-fat yogurt episode yet. We'll probably. Oh, I'm sure okay. I'm sure that'll come up because we do like we do these episodes in random order. So I'm sure. That's right. Yeah. I'm sure one day the trivia is going to come up and be like, oh, I remember Jesse from Sign Peak said this. This sounds familiar. Definitely, um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Jackie, actually, they were planning on doing a spin-off TV series after Seinfeld just about Jackie. And it was going to be about Jackie and uh, him with his interactions with uh, his clients. So that would have been uh, would have been interesting, I guess. Yeah, I would watch that. Yeah. yeah. I wonder <laughs> who would play Dr. Bison. Dr. Bison. <laughs> Dr. Bison. Yeah, or Susie. <laughs> or Susie, Susie, yeah. Susie, call tell Dr. Him, Bison. Tell him it's from me. Tell him Get it's from me. Mr. Kramer. <laughs> yeah. Call Dr. Amazing. Bison. Such a strong name. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Why don't we talk about Frank and Estelle in this episode? Okay. Yeah. Well, as we know, he, uh, Frank is played by the late Jerry Stiller and uh, Estelle is played by Estelle Harris. And uh, Frank, he's more upset about the Yankees trades rather than his son's death. You traded Jay Bura. <laughs> <laughs> he had a rocket for an arm. <laughs> oh man, I love the build up there as uh, as George Steinbrenner is you know giving the bad news to Estelle, and Estelle's just beside herself and trying to sort of come to terms with the news. And you see, you watch Frank, and he's sitting there seething. He's just waiting to edge his way into the conversation. You think that he's going to sort of go hard against George Steinbrenner and say, you know, you've this is your fault. You know, you're you're charged with his responsibility. All he cares about is bad trades that have cost New York Yankees pennants and, and games. <laughs> I think it's I think it's Frank's most I don't give a shit about my own son moment. You know, I mean, there's there's That's many it. many many moments, 
But I think this is just the most pure, I don't care that my son's dead. I'm worried about baseball trades. That's just, you can't get any more. I don't care about my son than that. I don't think. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that. I don't think it's ever been displayed more than that. He's yeah, got he, Ares grievances. Ares grievances. Yeah. He's just disowned yeah. his son. He's just like whatever. You know, Estelle's really upset, but because uh, he, you know, George is a, a mama's boy of sorts, <laughs> but uh, in in their own twisted way. But yeah, Frank, he just doesn't care. Does not care. So, Interestingly, we didn't we didn't cover this in episode trivia, but the line uh, that Frank leaves on Jerry's answering machine, where he's like, "Jerry, this is Frank Costanza. Mrs. Steinbrenner's here. George is dead. Call me back." This sort of like crazy line that's all over the place that was actually uh one of jerry stiller's favorite lines from the entire series oh lovely i can see yes. why i can yeah, see yeah 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 that take that take and that recording's awesome so obviously eventually you know once he sort of like you said jesse once he aired his baseball grievances he obviously realized oh hang on maybe i should be concerned about george and uh, investigate you know where he might be so he calls jerry but the fact that he considers that second is just speaks volumes as far as i'm concerned or maybe that's his way of grieving maybe he was so grief stricken that you know people say that people observe grief in different ways maybe the first thing that popped in his head because the head of the yankees at the time george steinbrenner was in the room you know maybe in that sudden in that moment the first thing that came to mind was that yeah and of course he does that again in the finale uh when uh steinbrenner is on as uh you know giving his testimony yeah how can you treat that japanese baseball player for this yeah i know <laughs> you saying that that maybe is how he grieves i think you know that's 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 saying that he has normal human emotions and he just can't come to terms <laughs> with but and that's that's implying that he's a normal human with normal human emotions i don't think he is i think he just doesn't care about george no. as much <laughs> I, I was just trying to put out another theory. <laughs> no, no, no. I think I'm that would work. Like no, no it, yeah. I don't want him humanized, and I don't think it's possible. Nah. <laughs> nah. Any more secondary characters we should talk about? Uh... Um, well, you know, it might be worth talking about Wilhelm, you know, just because Richard Hurd has passed away recently. Have you guys done an episode with Wilhelm since Richard Hurd died? Uh, oh, no. Not, oh, yes, we have. We actually, no, we did an episode. I think we know we did the wink two weeks ago, Stephen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But we Hurd did. One, we yeah. did do a what's the deal with the Yankee staff where we did. We had an episode just focused on um, all the Yankee staff and we talked about him at depth uh, in depth. Uh, in that mm-hmm. episode but uh mm-hmm. yeah he he does appear in a few scenes in this episode he really seems to have george's back um like he's yeah, always yeah. a pretty big fan of george um you know he always sort of thinks the best of him and sort of pushes him for promotions and stuff but especially in this, this episode he's really gunning for george's success which you know is misguided <laughs> yeah think. definitely yeah for sure i love how he calls costanza costanza yeah costanza, costanza. <laughs> <laughs> i love that yeah but no, he, we have mentioned in previous episodes that he is like a very supportive boss to George. And, and yeah, he mentions in a later episode that George is his protege, you know, in a, yeah. in a, in a credit, <laughs> credit scene, he's my protege. So, you know, he, he kind of wants to bring George under his wing, but George, you know, he's in it for himself. He's only in it because he loves the Yankees and he happened to fluke his way into the job. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, obviously uh, he's really concerned, but George Steinbrenner, you know, he goes all in and he says, George is just dead. You know, <laughs> he can't find anyone that resembles him. He must be dead. That's it. Yeah. Yep. You know, that's it. <laughs> just jumps right to that conclusion. Right to that yep. conclusion. And even Wilhelm's a bit surprised, like dead, mm-hmm. right? You know, he's more yeah, of a realist. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, you wouldn't expect anything else from Steinbrenner. I do love the scene. Uh, it's a visual scene. It's not an, uh, there's no audio component. When uh, George, un- George understands, I can't remember how, where it is in the episode, but you just see Wilhelm pulling up next to George's car 
and he gets out and he looks at George's car and he just mm-hmm. gives like a, a a nod of approval, like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's one of my favorite scenes in the episode. Like just that, you know, good on George. He's here, you know, burning the midnight oil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, Steinbender's the first one in. Wilhelm's the last one out, and George's <laughs> car's there the whole time, and they're both just like, oh wow, yeah, he must be must be dedicated. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's he a must pretty really good accidental scam until the flyers sort of screw it all up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but yeah, rest in peace, uh, Richard Hurd. He only passed away recently, like in the last month or so. Yeah. 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 Yep. Bit of a sad time. All right. I think that is all the secondary characters we uh, will talk about. Did oh, we cover uh, Peterman? Oh, Peterman. Oh, no, no, we no, actually. Yeah, no, we we only Peterman. had one scene, but, uh, you know, yeah, well, he's, for sure. Well, he's played by the wonderful John O'Hurley. And uh, he, just like the other big hitting secondaries, he's got his own What's to Do With episode. So find out more about him in that episode. But yeah, he was really into the bra. I think because he does mention that a lady, Sue Ellen, was wearing it down the hall. So Sue Ellen does have that sexual kind of, I don't know, she just has that ability to, to attract men and even Peterman was uh, hypnotized by her. But alas, the elevator doors had closed. <laughs> I mean, Sue Ellen could have literally been topless with no bra or nothing and even Peterman said that's the look. He would have put that in Yeah, the exactly. Uh, he was just entranced by Sue Ellen. Yeah, I think she yeah. could have been wearing a Hessian sack and he would have said to Elaine, all right, we're getting into Hessian sack as yeah. fashion. Yeah. Whatever she was wearing, uh, wearing, he was selling. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, he was just really like, we only see him in that scene, but he's just really like in a trance almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think in this scene as well, he seems a bit less waffly. Like he does, he does, t- it, the way he describes his interaction with, with Sue Ellen is, you know, well, not even an interaction. His observation of her is very like whimsical and ridiculous. But he, I don't know, he's, quite, he's a bit more decisive in this scene than he normally is like he just says this is what i want to do and i want you to do it elaine and then he walks out which is you know is it usually a bit more sort of like vague and weird and just you know all over the shop so that was really the only difference i noticed but uh still a good jay peterman scene nonetheless yeah, yeah it's yeah. amazing what jonah hurley can do with just a single uh, short scene like that's all he does in this episode and i mean he just you know, he throws 100% of Peterman at it, and it's fantastic. Yeah, 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 really well done. Whatever he does, he crushes. Absolutely. Anyway, that were all the secondary characters from the caddy. Let's take one more break, and uh, Stephen and I are going to say, or we're going to find out, rather, uh, where the episode sits in our episodes we've reviewed so far. If any of, well, today's secondary characters, including the big hitters, if I guess if they're in our top 20, and um, yeah, and then uh, I guess, Jesse, you can give your take on the episode and your favorite secondary characters too, so we'll be right back. I can't believe it. He was so young. How could this have happened? Well, he'd been logging some pretty heavy hours. First one in in the morning, last one to leave at night. That kid was a human dynamo. Are you sure you're talking about George? <laughs> you are Mr. and Mrs. Costanza. What the hell did you trade Jay Buna for? <laughs> he had 30 home runs and over 100 RBIs last year. He's got a rocket for an arm. You don't know what the hell you're doing! So welcome back. All right, Ivan, Stephen, let's uh, let's find out where this episode fell for you guys. Yes, so out of 136 episodes, this episode I really enjoyed quite a bit. Uh, number 36. What about you, Stephen? I thought this episode was a bit patchy, to be honest. I liked a lot of it. I didn't like uh, a lot of other parts. It's, it's number 91 for me. Oh, okay. A bit, a bit lower. What about you, Jesse? I yeah. mean, obviously you don't have a ranking of 136 episodes because you're not on the show every week, but where would you put this episode in terms of the greatness of the whole series? Like, is it one of the classics? Is it like very good, good? Like, what would you what would you put it as? Yeah, it's definitely, I liked it a lot more than I remembered liking it. It's maybe yeah. not one of the most iconic episodes uh, out of all 180, but uh, there are so many great little moments in it that I forgot were there. Um, I mean, I would put it in, you know, the top half of the episodes for sure. Um, Season seven is not really one of my favorites, um, but 
it's i mean it's got all my favorite secondary characters in it um the main four they all have great stuff going on i would probably put it in my top 50 somewhere yeah absolutely like like you jesse i really enjoyed it and i told you off air this is one that i haven't watched for probably a few years and yeah i i know it's like a bit wacky and disjointed at times and yeah you can see the early wisps of season eight and nine and what would it it would become um but yeah i i really had a great time with it Mm -hmm. it was really really fun before we talk about the secondary characters specifically i didn't ask you at the start jesse what would you say are your some of your favorite episodes or seasons like do you have any favorite eras or 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 or, sorry episodes of seinfeld yeah yeah so my favorite season has got to be season four because i love the pilot arc so much but all of my favorite episodes are in season eight for some reason like the bizarro jerry the little kicks um you know the little jerry you know the comeback certainly and the pothole for sure, is one of my all-time favorites. Um, so, you know, it gets a little wackier, but everyone has great lines, there's great direction, the writing is very tight and punchy. Mm-hmm. Season eight's probably where my favorite episodes are, but I love just the overall arc of season four, how meta it is and, and how much yeah. fun they have with it. Absolutely, yeah. and there's like a whole story that permeates through the entire thing, a massive arc. Yeah, exactly, and that doesn't happen a lot on Seinfeld, but when <laughs> it does, they do it really well. The only two major, like, season-long arcs I can think of is, you know, the Jerry pilot and also sort of Susan and George George's, you know, engagement and then her subsequent death. I can't really think mm. of many other or any other episode long. I mean, there's a lot of like Seinfeld does continuity really well and they call back to previous episodes, but nothing really as substantial as a whole season. Yeah. And, and you know, you might count, uh, you know, George's saga of getting and losing jobs over the course of season five. I think by the end of that mm. season, he ends up with the Yankees, you know, moving from uh, oh, where was he before the Yankees? The real estate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. he loses his job in season two goes several seasons without a job lives with his parents and he works for the Yankees and he gets fired then he goes to work you know for play now and then Kruger Industrial um <laughs> so you know that you might consider that arc but that kind of stretches over the whole show so Stephen do today's uh, secondary characters or any of them make your top 20 no but obviously all the the big guns are here well most of the big guns if I had to pick a favorite secondary character from this episode it would probably be Frank Costanza um I mean <laughs> You know, he's to me is a clear winner in almost any competition. What about you? Uh, yeah, for me, uh, well, Frank Costanza's already in my top 20. He's at number two, uh, like I've mentioned way back when. And uh, Jackie Charles is number 15 for me. Yeah, and Susan is number five for me. So, But I've, I've mentioned that, you know, many moons ago. Probably my favorite secondary character. I actually, now we talked about Wilhelm more often, uh, Jesse. I actually liked Wilhelm and, and Steinbrenner in the episode. I thought they really went well together. And I love how mm. Wilhelm, like, yeah, I mean, Steinbrenner just like goes straight to it and says he's dead. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> it's just like, there's no, there's no like, okay, let's keep looking. Then there's no missing persons, you know, unit or anything like that. He's like, no, he's dead. Simple as that. And yeah. then even Wilhelm's like yeah. shocked. He's like yeah. dead. What? That doesn't make sense. I, We've I like, got a I like business to run. Like, we're not, a, we're not <laughs> running a charity here. Yeah, that's right. And then they don't right even again. call the police or anything. They just assume <laughs> he's dead. They like, they leave it in the past and then they try to fill his position. <laughs> And then George yeah, comes I mean, in with how- like crutches and like a headband. And then, you know, he just, it's time for him and says, no, you got to yeah. tell that new assistant to the general manager. And then he walks off, he takes off the crutches and the headband just walks. I like how Steinbrenner goes. And of course, we'll have to dock the hours that you missed out on, George. Yeah. <laughs> we're you know, not running a charity here. Not running a yeah, charity. we're not running a charity here. That's it. So good. So nice. good. Yeah, I, I like them the most, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. That was another week of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. Uh, you can check us out on social media. We are on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. You can email us as well if you want to get in touch, bidwabasspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support us, you can leave a review on any podcast uh, app you choose. Uh, leave a five-star review and a review. That would uh, really help us out. And finally, you mm-hmm. can support us financially as well. That's right. We are on PayPal, Pod Hero, and Patreon. And on Patreon, patreon.com forward 
slash We also have bonus content. So you get this episode one week earlier than everyone else if you sign up for two US dollars a month. And you also get bonus podcasts, Curbcast, our Curb Your Enthusiasm review podcast. We're up to season two for that one, and that is exclusive to Patreon. And season 11, which is our bonus podcast we are doing right now. So lots of exciting things on Patreon. So check those out. That's right. And make sure you check out our Seinfeld group. We are the biggest Seinfeld group on Facebook, uh, Seinfeldism. So make sure you check that out if you want to join the fun. And Jesse, I'm sure you've got many things to plug and talk about, especially your Instagram page. So have at it. Yeah, sure. I'm all over the place. Um, So yeah, uh, Sign Peaks is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's just S-E-I-N-P-E-A-K-S. KS Sign Peaks. Yeah, uh, we've got a Facebook group, we've got a Facebook page, a Twitter, and an Instagram. And uh, this is actually not the only time I've ever been on a podcast. I have a podcast, a parenting podcast called Dad Splaining, uh, where every week we talk about different uh, parenting topics and we interview parents. Uh, we are soon going to have uh, Jonathan Wolf, the composer for Seinfeld, on, which we're very excited about. Um, and there we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Castbox, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, we're on there as well. And we're on you know Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also lovely we'll put all those links for your podcast and the instagram page in the show notes and uh, our listeners can check it out yeah so uh before we sign off thank you so much for joining us today jesse i'm sorry it took a little while to organize but uh no no worries yeah we appreciate you coming on and uh it was super super fun so yeah big uh big thanks for that course thank you for having me this was a blast we should do it again sometime for sure man thanks so much yeah and uh, next week we're going to season three we're talking about the secondary characters from the alternate side these pretzels are making me thirsty nice nice and uh we may have another special guest next week uh yet to be confirmed but yeah expect potentially a third person next week a regular guest Oh, yes. A very uh, very asked about special guest. Indeed. indeed. Anyway, uh, thanks again for joining us. I'm Stephen. I'm Ivan. And I'm Jesse. And uh, Stephen and I will see you next week. Yes. Take care. (laughs)